Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our special guest speaker. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. Um, again, Happy New Year, everyone. How are we doing? I'm glad to hear it. I can see that a few of us maybe haven't quite rolled out of bed this morning from your New Year's parties. We had a New Year's party last night with our small group, which was fantastic. And uh, yeah, I haven't celebrated New Year's um, since having small kids for about four years. So it's kind of kind of nice to be awake for, for midnight. Um, we had a great time. Okay, I'm so pleased that Ryan asked this question, but because um, uh, this morning we are praying in 2023 and what I mean by that is as we look at the year that's coming up and I don't know about you but the last two years have felt pretty rough in terms of world events and what's been going on in Ukraine and a pandemic and I'm kind of tired um, my expectations for 2023 are like, just be better than the last two years and I'll, I'll be happy, you know, and that's setting aside all the, the kind of personal things. But um, okay, I have a question for you, um, which actually kind of those things you've been thinking about for the new year. What are, what's something you wish you could change about the world or your life in 2023? I don't know if you guys know the Marvel movies, but does anyone know what this fancy, fancy glove is? What is it? Infinity Stone Glove, Thanos Glove. Oh, maybe it has a name. Infinity Gauntlet, right? Is that the technical name? There you go. Not just Bible knowledge. Um, the character, <laughs> the character in the Marvel films is the big baddie. He gets this this glove, and what the glove does is he clicks his fingers, and he can change anything about the entire universe that he wants. So, with your expectations in mind, what is something that you wish you could change if you had the Thanos glove? You could click your fingers and make different about the world or about your life in the coming year. Now, this might be a bit harder to think of if you're, you know, I'm a big picture person. I love thinking about what I would change. And as you're thinking of yours, mine is um, something that makes me quite anxious as a big picture kind of worldview sort, sort, sort of guy who's terribly bad at details um, is what is happening in the West, in America, in the UK, in our society as we remove the foundation of Christianity out of it. Um, this might excite you or it might be really boring, but, but, but something that makes me really anxious is what's going to happen to us? What's the world my children are going to inherit now that we're kind of, you know, amputating Christianity out of Western society, because a lot of what we believe and a lot of what is good about the West comes out of the Christian worldview. Um, to take one example, the reason we think human beings have value, the reason we think the worst criminals in our society, the worst of people have value, is because they're made with the image of God in them. People outside of the West in different worldviews don't have the same value for human life that we do. Um, and of course, there are different ways they look at the value of human life, but, but that's a really solid, important part of, Western, West, of the Western world, which once we take the foundational beliefs of Christianity out of it, I'm worried what's going to happen. And um, don't worry, this is not a political talk as much as I would love to. You can talk to me about, I mean, about that afterwards. But that's something that if I could snap my fingers, that's what I would change. I would bring Christianity back into the foundational minds of people in the West. Um, so maybe yours is kind of family life. Maybe it's something about work or a boss that you'd change. Maybe it's something um, of your, could be as simple as the traffic on your way to work. But have a think about something that is important to you. You don't have to share it. But something that if you could click your fingers, you could change about the world. And um, 
don't forget it. Hold on to that for me. Um, if you don't mind clicking on the next slide, what we're going to be looking at as we pray today is something you've probably heard people talk about hundreds of times in church, which is the Lord's Prayer. Um, in fact, some of you may have even heard entire sermon series on the Lord's Prayer going through line by line. So I'm kind of assuming that most of you guys have heard this. But there's something about the Lord's Prayer which I didn't know about, um, which I read about this week, which is, this is the version from Luke 11. And he's, Luke introduces this by saying, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And you know, this is one of those passages that maybe you've read so many times, it's hard to kind of, you know, make it new and, and, and fresh, because maybe sometimes we're super familiar with it. But I noticed, why are the disciples asking Jesus how to pray? Um, we know historically that they would have all gone to a uh, religious education um, in their small childhood. They were fishermen, so they wouldn't have done a huge amount, but they, they should have known how to pray. There are a very specific set Jewish prayers that people do in the day. Why are they asking Jesus how to pray? They've been hanging out with him for ages. This shouldn't be something that they don't know how to do. Um, so I looked it up, and, and one of the reasons that we think they asked Jesus why they should pray is because if you're in the first century and you are following a rabbi, a teacher, um, you have packed in your job, your, everything of your whole life is following where this person goes, teaching to teaching, and the rabbi will have a particular prayer that is their kind of trademark prayer, that's their kind of flavor. Um, and then your disciples pray this prayer because you're part of the in crowd, you're part of the club. And you'll notice that they asked, just as John taught his disciples, some of the disciples were disciples of John the Baptist beforehand, and they had a secret prayer. Not secret, but like, you know, a super cool in the club kind of prayer. And they're saying, Jesus, where's our super cool um, prayer? And this is the one he offers. And on the next slide, um, there was something I noticed um, as we come to the prayer itself, which we're going to pray at the end, which is that some of these things are focused internally, and some of the things in this prayer are focused externally and the ones in in red your kingdom come you will be done give us this day our daily bread are about things outside of us but the majority of this prayer is about internal transformation it's about what's happening to you as you pray it for example naming god as father that's a new thing that jesus brought about um, forgiving, asking God to forgive your sins as you, and at the same time you forgiving the people around you. There's this kind of, does this make sense? There's kind of like an external place and an internal place. There's a thousand ways to view and look at this prayer, but this is just one in that Jesus seems quite concerned with the internal transformation that takes place. And Kevin a few weeks ago talked about prayer and he mentioned, you know that verse in John where Jesus says, if you pray for anything in my name, you will receive it. And Kevin was quite open and said it was one of his more challenging prayers, one of the, the verses in the Bible that he, he, he struggled with, because how many of you here have prayed for things that didn't happen? Just me? Yeah, right? And, 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 but but that, it's hard to, to, to take that verse and relate it to this. But on the next slide, I was, I was, I was, as I was researching, I looked up this verse from James, which when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you might spend what you get on your pleasures. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm sure you guys are excellent prayers and pray for the right things all the time, but none of us are perfect, right? And what I have when Jesus' prayer is concerned with internal transformation means that if I have to transform into something, there must be something wrong with how I am to start with. There must be something I need to do in my prayers that I'm unaware of and something... Um, in that blue again, that internal process. And it kind of occurred to me that, you know we're all supposed to pray 
um, every morning at 5.30 and read the Bible for at least an hour, right? <laughs> That's the kind of culture you pick up in churches, or at least I have. And if it's not, it has to be 5.30 in the morning, and you can or cannot have coffee, depending what denomination you are as you do it. But basically, the more, the more struggle and suffering that's involved, the better, the better prayer is going to be. And um, I struggle in the mornings, and I struggle with routines, so it's never something I've been able to do um, with glee. But something changed for me in terms of thinking about prayer as this inner transformation. And on the next slide, this is what I kind of have been thinking about, is that our prayers might change the world, they might change the external world around us, but they will definitely change you. By the act of coming on your knees with your hands together and your eyes closed in supplication before God, you're inviting him not just to do the things on your shopping list or your wish list, um, but to change you as the person who prays. I've got some examples of this one um, on the next slide. Uh, oh yeah, this is an example of the, the purpose of that transformation is we don't pray to receive, we pray to be made more like the image of God, the more like Jesus that we can possibly be. So there's an external, and don't get me wrong, we can pray for external things and God cares about them, and so many of you have got stories of God answering prayer as well as not answering it. But I I think for me, I was missing the point, and that the point was it's not the things I'm praying about, it's who I become as I pray. Who I become as I pray. That might sound a bit kind of up in the air, but I've got some concrete examples for you um, on the next slide. If you think about those um, I want to tell you about what happened to me when I prayed um, this week. I was praying for the West and that anxiety that I had over the world my children will inherit. And I, I, I kind of was just prompted to pray about it because like, it feels like sometimes prayer is like having a red telephone in your house that goes directly to the White House. You know, in terms of this is the creator of the universe we're talking about and Thanos is nothing compared to him. And we've got the hotline, right? I, I tried to get a red telephone to show you, but I couldn't, couldn't find one in time. But um, like, it's, 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 it's bizarre, right? Isn't that crazy that like Ollie Robinson, the random British guy who shows up at church has a hotline in his house to the creator of the universe? And so do you. And so I'm like, okay, Lord, well, you know, with pretty low expectation, you know, Father God, I'm worried about this. I'm really worried about this. The culture wars, everything that's going on, whatever side of it you're on, you know, this think there's a lot to worry about. Can you fix it? You know, what do I do? What do I do for my kids and my world? And I felt God say to me in response, I felt him say, Ollie, you might be worried about this, but I'm not worried. And he reminded me that we don't need to fear the world because he's overcome the world. And all of a sudden, I can't say that my prayer was answered in terms of suddenly everyone's rocked up at church on on New Year's Day that's never been before. But I can say the anxiety and the fear that I had over this issue, and I've got to tell you, it's a lot. It's a lot. It suddenly melts in the presence of, well, if God is not worried about it, why am I wasting my time? worrying about it. Now don't get me wrong, there's still things to do, there's still things to pray for, there's still, um, we still have to be the change we want to see in the world. But it's a whole lot different if I'm doing it in a place where my Father in Heaven is not scared or anxious, you know? Um, here's another one. Judy and I were in a church once um, which had leaders who were really nice people, but a bit hopeless. Um, 
I'm a very judgmental person, which is how I can say those kind of things so easily. But um, we were in a church with lovely people, but a bit hopeless. And sometimes you're like, you know, you're kind of like, uh, please read this book about leadership, you know, because, because this is not how I do things. And, 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 you know, that frustration we all have sometimes, even with sometimes the person who's speaking to you in a sermon, you might be frustrated with doing it wrong. But... Um, uh, that was a joke about me preaching to you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for being quiet. That's helpful. <laughs> um, and so I was praying about these leaders and I th- say, God, why have you put these people in charge? Why did there's so much lost potential? It feels like in, in, in a church in the gold of the people who are there. And I felt God say to me, um, he, he, those of you in the military might know this phrase, but he said, you salute the uniform, not the man. And I know this from military movies. I have no connection to the military, but I have huge respect for it. And my understanding is that the principle is you, when you're saluting a commanding officer, uh, the officer might be a terrible, terrible person who's out, nasty character. Um, but when you salute him, you don't salute him. You salute the rank that he holds. Now, don't get me wrong. We all have stories of church leaders failing. But it actually didn't. My prayer was God changed the leadership of the church we were in. But the answer God gave is not in the external place, but in the internal place of, actually, Ollie, I know a lot better than you do who should be running your church. Um, so I've got a thousand examples of the stupid things I've prayed for that God, in his grace, has changed. And so um, we're going to... Um, I've got some more for you, actually, on the next slide. Does anybody know who this gentleman is? John Wimber, you do know the names at the top. Um, he's one of the most influential people in the church in the UK, actually, that nobody knows about in the UK, but he visited us and had a huge influence. He's the founder of the Vineyard Movement. Is it okay to say founder about that? I know there's language, founder of the Vineyard Movement. And um, has a spreadsheet ever changed your life before? I did not expect a spreadsheet to change my life, but in one of his books about spiritual maturity, he takes some of these things that we believe as uh, kind of baby Christians, and then what we believe as grown-up Christians. And some of these, I have to say, um, I was being a baby Christian about. Um, the first one, good Christians don't have pain or disappointment. Anyone ever thought or felt that before? Oh, you're being shy. Some of you nodded, but I'm like, that's the point, right? We're Christians to, 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 to avoid all of the horrors of the world, you know, because the world's a pretty rough place, and surely we should have some kind of advantage. But he says, God uses our pain and disappointment to make us better Christians. Now, that's not an external change in terms of the things you might pray for, but it's an internal one of, okay, even the worst things that have ever happened to me, and don't get me wrong, sometimes I wonder how on earth it is that God can use those things. But his promise is that he does, that he does. There's a few more, God wants us to be happy. I spent the first half of my life thinking the point of being a Christian was that God was going to give me life to the full. And life to the full meant being happy, you know, being, being, being happy. Um, and I'm a grumpy, cynical British guy who was born with the soul of a 90-year-old uh, grumpy grandfather. So uh, it was a hard one to get a grip to. And it's not that God doesn't want you to be happy, but it's not his primary goal. His primary goal is to make us into the image of Jesus. And it's just a small kind of shift from thinking, you know, because I've spent lots of times in my childhood saying, God, why did you let this happen to me? Um, you, you love me. You can do anything. Why on earth did you let this happen to me? And, and, and the answer is, is not complete. But there's something in because God's purpose for my life is not to make me happy. It's to make me more like Jesus. And that can involve happiness in life to the full. But full life involves a whole lot of other things as well. 
mature Christians have answers. Um, I've done a few, a bit of theological training in my past, which Ryan graciously mentioned. It means when you show up to a Bible study group, most people get very, very quiet very quickly because they think, they think you know all the answers to everything. And although that's an impression I'd very much like you all to think, the truth is <laughs> I don't know the answers to anything. And the truth is, is that mature Christians can wrestle honestly with tough questions because we trust that God has the answers. Um, Dan and a couple of others did an Alpha course here in church over the last few weeks, which was an amazing um, course about asking questions. And sometimes it can be tricky because we don't have all of the answers, but we trust that God has the answers. Um, Okay, final one. This one was a big one for me. We go to church because our friends are there, we have great leaders, and we get something out of it. And um, when we were, when Judy and I moved here to the US, we um, had a list of 10 churches we wanted to go and see and kind of work out what was the best fit. And uh, Judy is a fantastic researcher and researched everything about them, what they were about, who they were influenced by, did they have women in ministry, what was the kids' stuff like. And we got to the second church on our list, which was Thrive, and we knew this was the place God was calling us to. And it was mostly because it was a Sunday where uh, I think it was Kevin was preaching about emotional health, and I thought, I've never heard anybody speak about this in church before. Um, some of you had, maybe you have, but for me that was a new experience. Maybe it's a British thing that we don't talk about emotions too much. But um, yeah, and, and the things that I was looking for to start with, you know, the nice building. We went to a fantastic church that had uh, bagels afterwards and this fantastic super mega complex of, of things. It was very professionally done. And the preacher didn't mention Jesus once in his entire message. And you're like, okay, well, if you have to pick, I know we've got a wonderful building and I know we're bursting at the seams and can do with a new one for very practical reasons, but it's the core that matters. Is that making sense? The purpose of prayer is not to get the things that you want, although those are important and there are things worth praying for, but it's to become more like Jesus. It's to open the door in your heart to having your will changed and aligned more into his will. When you pray, you might change the world, but you will change yourself. God will change you. And, uh, and so those things that you were thinking about um, in that um, Thanos glove moment, we're going to pray in a, in a church. We're going to get up our seats in a minute and pray. But I encourage you to think as we pray for those things, as you pray in your 5.30 a.m. with no coffee prayers that I'm sure you will do, um, think about what is it that I'm asking for, which is important, and don't stop bringing those things, but think about what is it God might want to transform about you as you pray for them. Um, I'd love to, for us to say uh, the, the Lord's Prayer together as we finish, and um, I'd love to invite the band back up as, as well as we will close afterwards. Um, but if you'd like, to, if you'd like to, to stand up, that would be great, and hopefully you can read the writing. Um, but as our Saviour taught us, let us pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Thank you so much, everyone. And I pray God's peace and blessing and transformation on you as you go out into your own prayer times throughout the week.